Welcome to the Beyond the Game podcast hosted by Prep to Prep, along with Nate Smith and Harold Aubin. I am Danny Kata. Today we're talking about the Preppies, the annual awards that Prep to Prep bestows among the top teams and athletes in the Bay Area. And guys, we have a lot of, uh, obviously this year is a little bit different considering um, what's going on with the coronavirus pandemic and the deletion of the spring sports, but we still have plenty of great candidates to honor. And this tradition goes back a few years. And in fact, the first couple of years, Prep to Prep had the preppies. We actually had an award show similar to you, like, you know, the SBs, those sort of thing. And it's something that Prep to Prep would like to, to get back to, um, honestly. Um, that was a really cool event when we had it. Uh, it was kind of fun to see high school kids all decked out, you know, and picking up their awards and stuff like that. So, um, but having said that, you know, we can, we, we're still, we still year after year honor the top athletes and coaches and teams. Um, maybe we talk about, start, talk, start by talking about what's a little bit different this year, guys. Well, obviously, other than the obvious, <laughs> obvious. I mean, give me the easy one. Leave Nate the hard ones. Okay, the easy one, obviously, is uh, you know we have candidates that are spring sport athletes, but didn't have a season. So, I mean, how do you judge them? That makes it really, really hard. And you know, we couldn't eliminate those candidates, but at the same time. Uh, it made it really hard because they didn't have a season. So, I mean, that's the obvious thing that was a challenge. But I'll, I'll, I'll let Nate take it from there. Well, I think, you know, Harold hits on a very good point there. And what that ended up doing when we're talking about potential athlete of the year candidates is really ended up placing a premium on those dual sport athletes for the, football, for the fall and winter. And you will see that as we talk about those athlete of the year candidates that, you know, sometimes what happens is, your dual sport athletes in the fall and winter, when you get to the end of the year, if you had a fall and spring dual sport standout, those fall and winter dual sport athletes can almost get overlooked because the spring has just taken place and that's more fresh in the minds of everybody determining these awards. But what happened this year as we're going through is those fall winter dual sport standouts really still stood out in our minds because they did not get overshadowed by this athletes who picked up a spring sport as their second sport. So I think that really kind of changed the perspective as we're looking at those awards this year. Um, Danny, it's also interesting you mentioned the show and, you know, the, the possible desires to bring that back. I, I had a, a message not long ago from David Perry, the new head football coach at Bishop O'Dowd, a- asking me about the same thing, um, talking about how cool it would be if he could see a show like that return to the Bay Area. Um, and, and so I know there's there's some demand out there. And um, you know, obviously the, what we do with the preppies, um, gets a lot of attention for people. And it's obviously one of the hardest tasks we do all year because we're talking about Northern California, all different sports. And how, how do you measure the achievements of one sport versus the other? And, and it really becomes one of the most difficult tasks to choose that ultimate standout athlete. Yeah. And, you know, Steve Pizzola, the basketball coach and the president of Salesian high school he still tells me about how much he likes the, the award that we gave him. I believe it was kind of like glass. It was a, I forget exactly what it looked like, but it was like a clear glass type plaque. It was really nice. So maybe we'll be able to get back to that too. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you'll see some of our candidates come from, you know, the non, uh, I shouldn't say glamour sports, but, you know, sports like soccer and stuff that don't get the publicity that a lot of the other sports get. 
And so we have to look at, we have to look closely at what some of these kids and what some of these coaches did because they don't, they don't get the limelight. Some of the other uh, athletes, like some of our football candidates and basketball candidates got. So I, you know, it, it's a challenge to, uh, to find the diamonds in the rough. Well, certainly in years past, uh, the multi-sport athlete was always a draw for this, for the athlete of the year awards. Uh, I remember there being even three sport athletes that have been honored. Uh, we you know, played maybe football, basketball, baseball, the kind of the traditional three sport athlete. But um, in this, in this year with the, you know, we, we, in addition to not having spring sports pretty much at all, um, obviously the state championships in basketball were curtailed. And in, in years past, what we've, we've always honored a uh, private school and public school of the year, which actually we've, we've, we've generated some criticism for that. Um, some people are, feel very strongly the need to separate those two entities. Some people feel strongly that we should not separate those two. So um, it's, it's one of those things where we felt that we really couldn't fairly uh, rate the private schools and public schools. When you consider you take, you're, you're taking out the entire spring and we didn't really get a chance to see, the final step that some of those schools would have taken in the, in the, during the basketball season. So why don't we get into it guys? Let's uh, let's start talking about these athletes. You're, you were, you were muted. Here we go. Let me go through some of the candidates that we have. All right. So let's start with the female athlete of the year. Um, we have Taya Bird of Cloverdale, Nicole May of Foothill, Ashley Hiraki of Biddy, and Anya Choice of Cardinal Newman. Let's talk about some of those young ladies. Well, the most interesting one jumping off the page right away that you get, just interesting for the for being included in here, and it and it speaks really to how great of a career she had in high school is Nicole May of Foothill. Um, the fact that we would feel strongly about putting her on the list of female athlete of the year candidates when she did not even have a spring season. Um, you know, she didn't even pitch in one of their first two games of the year because when they faced other teams where, where they knew it was going to be a foothill victory, they had a number two, Maddie Heinlein, who was also very good. So, so Nicole didn't even in pit, pitch in a couple early games, and yet here she is still on our Athlete of the Year candidates. And, and I think it's a testament to what she really did for the foothill softball program with Matt Sweeney during the course of her career, you know, committed to Oklahoma before even entering high school. And, you know, we, we I, ha I had her on with a very early podcast in the spring. And, you know, just it was one of those tough pills to swallow to see somebody who prepares all year for one sport and then have that, have that not be able to take place. Um, but still very deserving on this list of candidates based, based on a truly incredible career, one that she capped with the best undefeated record in the history of the North Coast section last spring, um, a title game against Heritage where she struck out 13 and hit the game-winning two-run homer. Uh, you know, re really, it would have been a travesty if we did not put her on our list of final candidates. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, the fact that she, she did when – you, when, when you're probably the top recruit and maybe the top softball player in the nation – uh, it would have been hard not to put her on the list. She did have a couple of games, and she actually had some good stats, both at the plate and, and from the circle in the games that uh, that they did play. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously she had good numbers in the few games that they played. Now we have two we have two basketball player only uh, on the list. Uh, Ashley Hiraki 
who was our CCS Player of the Year, uh, and she was the uh, the unquestionable leader of that team. Uh, and you know they didn't get a chance to play for a state championship, and uh, you know they they were waiting to play for a state championship and get a chance to uh, to get a rematch with La Jolla Country Day. And uh, Haraki and her teammates never got that chance. Uh, Anya Choice was our NCS Player of the Year, and she was also a finalist. She was one of uh, six finalists for Cal High Sports Ms. Basketball State Player of the Year, and, and the only candidate actually from north out, out of the six. There were five from Southern California, and Anya was the only one. So obviously, she is extremely deserving. Uh, and, and led Cardinal Newman to a great season. Uh, they couldn't beat Mitty, but, you know, they didn't have the horses that Mitty had. But Anya certainly uh, was the top basketball, the top girls basketball player in Northern California. Well, well to me, the impressive thing about Anya Choice, Harold, and, and you wrote about it a number of times during the season, is she's that kind of player who could go for 40-plus, or if the defense was truly focused on her, she could put up a triple double as well, and she could and she could feed her teammates and really let the you know played within the flow of the game and made everybody around her better at the same time. Um, you know that really impressed me about Anya when I, when I did see her play. And um, you know the other name we have on this list comes from a school that is not normally in the final conversation for athlete of the year candidates from Cloverdale, and we had uh, you know Margaret Fitzgerald on here on our most recent podcast, and and. Uh, Taya Bird headed up to Oregon as a premier softball player. She didn't even get to play her senior softball season, which, you know, but she also makes this list as a first-team all-league volleyball player and having surpassed the 2,000-point mark for her career for basketball player. Um, you know, is any Harold, would there be any doubt that she's the top three-sport athlete in Northern California? No. And, I mean, you know, what? what's, what's the strange twist about this is that, you know, as a three-sport athlete, I mean, she stood out in the two sports that she did play, but yet she didn't get to play her top sport, which is softball, which is where she's going to college. But she was announced, she was stood out in those other two sports. And yeah, it's a small school, but, you know, they also, the basketball team, uh, I believe only lost one game, if I'm not mistaken. It was the last game of the season in the playoffs. So, you know, uh, very, very deserving. And by the way, I made a mistake on Anya Choice. They didn't lose to Mitty. They lost to St. Joseph uh, Notre Dame uh, in the in the NorCal's. But once again, uh, they, they didn't have the horses that St. Joseph Notre Dame did at Cardinal Newman this year. But Anya was by far the best. But Tia Bird, you know, <laughs> what can you say about it? I mean, she's going to Oregon. She's going to a Pac-10 school coming out of a small school. So, I mean – She's got to be. She's got to be right up there. Right up there. Yeah, and you're talking about in softball. You're talking about a player that dominates in all aspects of the game. You know, she. You know, she's probably not going to throw in college, but a do absolutely dominant pitcher when she wanted to be in high school, and someone who's posting an OPS above two point zero zero on a regular basis, which you know, basically opposing pitchers could not get her out at all during high school. Yeah, and and, and that's it's just amazing to see the an entire career like that.
Yeah. yeah, and one of the things, the considerations that we took into account, obviously, was it was bad enough that these kids didn't get a chance to finish their spring season. So we didn't want to double penalize them when it when it took into consideration uh, honors like this, a female athlete of the year being such a huge honor. And we have to sort of um, uh, try to guess what these these athletes would have done in their spring season. And of course, they've been dominant throughout their high school careers. So it's it's natural to include them in the, uh, the final awards. So I think it's, I think it's a good choice. I think this is a strong list and um, you know, we're not going to give away the, uh, the, the winner quite yet, but stay tuned for the, uh, the, on the website, we should be releasing these, these winners pretty soon. Um, any other final words on the female athlete of the year before we move on to the male athlete of the year guys? No, I, I, w I wish, I wish that, I just wish that uh, we could have gotten a chance to see Nicole May pitch this year play, you know, I really missed that. You know, I mean, she might be, other than Kalani Ricketts, she might be the best. Well, and Val Ariota, who also went to Foothill, she might be the best we've ever had here in Northern California. We didn't get to see her senior season. Okay. Well, on that positive note, we'll move on to the male athlete of the year and talk about some of the candidates here. So we have Nate Ruchina from Monta Vista High School, uh, Shamar Garrett from De La Salle, Marcellus Roberson from Bishop O'Dowd, Justin Anderson from Menlo Atherton, Kyle Harrison from De La Salle and Nick York from Midi. And actually, Danny, uh, there's one more who I had, had failed to put on that first list to you um, that I wanted to discuss in this conversation as well, which is uh, Zach Batchelder of Montgomery um, Boys Soccer. Um, and I, so I'll, I'll kind of start with him there. Um, you know, Batchelder um, making this list after scoring 55 goals in the Vikings undefeated season, which included a NCS and NorCal titles and you know, to me, it was, it was impressive and talking to athletic director Dean Haskins during the year, um, the school had never won a Division One title in any sport because uh, they'd never been a Division One school. But the success of their boys' soccer program pushed them up to Division One, And so they not only captured their first ever Division One title, winning the NCS Division One crown, they then went on and captured the NorCal Division One title. And you have a kid like Batchelder here. He's going to UC Davis. He's not the... Um, you know, Pac-12 recruit, like the like uh, the kid from Berkeley who's going to Washington, um, but absolutely phenomenal. 55 goals, 16 assists, and he scored in every postseason game for Montgomery. Um, he, he's So he, he's got to be on this list as well. Um, you know, even though he's a single sport athlete, we got some dual sport kids on here. Uh, he's definitely got to be on there. Yeah, I mean, and there's, there's a case of, you know, uh, an under-the-radar athlete, okay? I mean, there's nothing wrong with going to UC Davis, okay? Uh, but once again, soccer, boys' soccer, uh, doesn't get a lot of props. But this kid is the real deal, that's for sure. Uh, and then, you know, I'll, I'll skip down to Marsalis Roberson. Uh, and Marsalis is also a breakthrough candidate. I mean, this is a kid that was not even on the radar screen uh, at the beginning of the season. I mean, yeah, I mean, people knew a little bit about him, but he, 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 he his father was killed when he was uh, uh, just before his freshman season. So it really m messed up his career. And, and then he moved from Sacramento to Oakland uh, to live with his mom. And they didn't even, they didn't even play him his freshman season, even though he could have played. And then last year as a sophomore, uh, he hardly had any time whatsoever. And then this year, all of a sudden, uh, he becomes the leader 
on a team that has a guy going to Cal and, 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 and he's the better player. So, I mean, there's not much more that you can say about him. And, and they were, they were supposed to play for a Northern California championship against Sheldon and, 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 and he didn't get a chance to show himself there. So he definitely is, is one of the top players, uh, in, in, in the NCS and in Northern California, period. One of the top basketball players in Northern California. And that qualifies him right there. I'll jump down to the two kids who we really didn't get to see but make this list um, and, and made headlines even with, despite not having a spring season, which is Kyle Harrison of De La Salle Baseball and Nick York of Midi Baseball. Right. Um, Nick York was our CCS sophomore of the year, his sophomore year. Um, his junior year, he was injured for a good part of the season, um, only able to DH for Mitty after coming back from injury. Um, this senior year was going to be his year again. Um, you know, absolutely phenomenal. He ended up being first-round pick of the Boston Red Sox. Um, you know, phenomenal athletic family and one of the most pure hitters that's ever come out of the WCAL. Um, just a pure, you know, can hit for average, can hit for powers, sprays the ball to all fields. And also, you know, very, very smooth in the infield as well. Um, just an absolutely phenomenal player. Um, a kid who in the WCAL hit close to 500 as a sophomore, which is just ridiculous there, and, and really hit the cover off the ball again as a junior once he got healthy. And one of those that was just poised for a massive senior season. Um, Kyle Harrison, drafted by the Giants, third round, signed for more than their second round pick. Um, shows you what they thought of the lefty that was committed to UCLA. Um, also just, uh, I mean, I got to really watch firsthand last year when he mowed down, uh, my own kids at heritage after giving up one run in the second, never came close to scratching out another one against him as, as they won another NCS title. And, and really he was the one that, you know, he was in the lineup as well. And he was that arm, you know, coming from the left side that is just really nasty. I mean, you know, he's throwing in the mid nineties. He's got a cut fastball that only loses a couple miles an hour and comes in on the hands of lefties. And he's got a, you know, a, a slider that just falls right off the table and, and really has a, a nice repertoire there of pitches, nice assortment, um, just a filthy kid on the mound and really one of those that also between his sophomore and junior year when he gained honors for us both of those seasons um, was a no-brainer to have on this list. Definitely, you know, would have been right there as our, you know, our leading candidate for NCS Player of the Year had there been a baseball season. And Nick York, I mean, Nick is, Nick is, he's, he's the Nicole May of baseball, really, when you think about it. As high as he went in the draft, and then we didn't get a chance to see his senior season, that's, that's a shame. It really is. And we have um, Nate, Nate Richana, we haven't mentioned yet. He's a, a two-sport athlete headed to Cal, so let's talk a little bit about him. Well, yeah, we got two, two real standout football basketball guys on this list. Um, Nate Richana is one of them, and, you know, just a tough-as-nails standout kid all over the field in, on, in football season. You know, uh, top, the top wide receiver there for the Mustangs, and they like to air it out. A big, you know, he's a tall, strong kid, dominates corners and safeties when he's playing receiver. And, and the best thing about that is we've given him honors each of the last couple of years as a defensive back. Right. Um, so he's a ball hawk, you know, from his safety position. And even more than that, if anybody comes down the alleyway, he is an absolute fearless hard-hitting safety there and really you can put him anywhere you can put him either spot at the next level um you know he's got he's got the speed to run on the outside he's got the size and the physical physicality and the ball hawking ability to play on either half of the field and down the hashes 
and just very impressive. The kick also puts his body out there on special teams. Really impressive. And then he transitions to the hardwood. You know, he, he, they really struggled early in the year, and, and people were asking why, what's going on with Monte Vista basketball. Well, the simple part was he was still banged up from football season. It wasn't really playing yet for him. As soon as he got healthy and jumped into basketball season, all of a sudden Monte Vista basketball knocks off some of the top teams in the section. It ends up going to the Division I semifinals for the first time in six years. And it's with him pulling down rebounds and putting up double-doubles almost every night. And it's just the kind of kid, I mean, he's the top football basketball kid with Justin Anderson and Menlo Atkinson, a close second there. Um, but really outstanding what he did, you know, for, for football and basketball season. Absolutely. I mean, just phenomenal two-sport athlete uh, and a great kid and a good student as well. Absolutely. He's going to Cal. Yeah, going to Cal. Uh, Shamar Garrett. Uh, what about him, Nate? Huh? Well, Shamar Garrett's another one who you – know, we, we got two kids left to discuss here, Garrett and Justin Anderson. And Garrett's one that if he's in any other program other than De La Salle, he's rushed for over 2,000 yards each year. And you look at him, you know, his yards per carry are always in the double digits. He is absolutely explosive at the next level. The, really the only kid that's been on the field the last two years who has shown an ability to beat Bosco defenders. And you watch the state title game, and he's breaking tackles and breaking off long touchdown runs to keep them in the game against Bosco or modern day. And, and I mean, that's the kind of talent this kid is. Um, because he's not very tall, underlooked on the recruiting stage a bit, he'll, he'll be local um, in San Jose, but really just, and he, you could also put it, they also put him an outside linebacker and strong safety. And much like Regina there, a kid who comes, comes off the edge, fills the alley, sure-handed tackler, really an impact player on both sides of the ball. The only reason why his numbers don't jump off the page to anybody who looks at the stats is the fact that he comes out of games early and gets limited touches because he's at De La Salle. Right. And, and you know, I have to tell you something. You mentioned uh, the state championship game. Uh, the coach from St. John Bosco, Jason Negro, had nothing but absolute great things to say about Shamar Garrett. Okay, he said pretty much what you just said. Okay, uh, that uh, they couldn't they couldn't stop him. Okay, the problem is is De La Salle didn't have as many horses. They don't have as many horses as the teams from Southern California. But Shamar Garrett is he's a thoroughbred. I can tell you that. Oh, absolutely, and that that and then that brings us to our last guy we're talking about here, Justin Anderson of Menlo Atherton, um, another kid, you know, one of the top football players another Pac-12 bound kid. And, but in basketball, he was also player of the year in, in the PAL there. And also here's a ridiculous stat for you about Justin Anderson, averaging close to five steals per game at guard there for, for the bears. And another one of those grid hoop standouts that has just been one of the, you know, rare talents here in the Bay area. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this is this is a tough one. This is a tough one because we have two outstanding two sport athletes. And, you know, like we said in the beginning, traditionally the two sport athletes have had a little bit of an advantage. Um, so this is gonna be a tough one. This is gonna be a tough one to figure out. So let's move on to the female team coach of the year. Now we've separated them out as the based on the, the gender of the team. Now I think something we can consider maybe in the future is just having a female coach of the year, although Sue Phillips would probably win it every year. 
so that wouldn't be too exciting. But for the female team coach of the year, we have uh, Nick Hatsky of Lee Soccer, Shane Kennedy of Tamil Pais Soccer, Brian Sato of St. Joseph's uh, Basketball, and Antonio Veloso of Half Moon Bay Basketball. So let's talk a little bit about those coaches. Well, won't you coach against uh, Nick? No, he coaches girl soccer. Oh, he coaches. Oh, that. <laughs> All right, I got hey, my first huh? snap of the day. I'm not going. We're not going to let the Lee boys coach on this list. Come on. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to jump in first with one that Harold's going to have a bit more expertise than I am, and so he might have a bit more to say. But I, I will say, when um, you know, I, I did get to meet and see uh, Brian Sato firsthand when he came here to Heritage and brought his girls here. We had a Saturday night marquee matchup that even attracted the NCS commissioner and, you know, for a Saturday night non-league game um, did over a thousand dollars in gate revenue, which, you know, we had a pretty filled stance because everybody knew they were watching something special. Um, and it really impressed me what he was able to do coming into a situation that had a lot of negative publicity. And I'm not going to call it a negative situation because the girls on that program are top notch and the support they have are top notch. And the man and the man who handed that program to him, is, is top-notch, um, but he stepped into something with a lot of negative publicity and really handled it with so much grace and so much really gave them a steady, steady hand through a situation that could have spiraled out of control and could have taken what was a very promising season for them and flushed it down the drain. And instead, he was that steady hand of guidance who, who led them to truly great heights. Um, and, and I just think that whole story, um, you know, ha has to be taken into consideration, even though he wasn't the head coach to start the year. Uh, what, what he did during his time was truly impressive to me. So Harold, maybe you can give a little backdrop on what, what, what took place there um, I, for the listeners to, who haven't heard about this story. I got to know Brian Sato very well. Okay. I got to know him very well. I was very close uh, to the situation there at St. Joseph Notre Dame. Uh, <clears throat> girls basketball is my, is my specialty, my love, my passion. And, you know, I, I was close to the situation. Uh, you know, St. Joseph was playing in the Bay Counties uh, League East, and, you know, it's not a very good league. And, you know, they're a team that went to the Northern California open division championship game playing in a terrible league. No, no offense to the other schools, but it's, it was a terrible league and they're beating teams, you know, 80 to seven and, and, and 91 to whatever. And, you know, as is the case, uh, the administration was kind of leaning on the previous coach. Uh, and Sean Hipple to, uh, to kind of back off a little bit and he was offended by it, and he quit unexpectedly, although it wasn't totally unexpected. And Coach Sato was asked to step in, and, you know, this is a guy with two small kids, elderly parents, uh, and a wife, a working wife, okay? And he had told her he was going to kind of back away from things. Now, all of a sudden, he gets thrown into the hornet's nest, and he takes the team all the way to the Northern Regional Championship game where they lose to Archbishop Mitty, but they lost with class. And this guy was a class guy. 
okay? He was the steadying hand they needed at this kind of a time. He wasn't flashy. Uh, he wasn't loud. But he was a rock to those girls and to their families during this time. And that's about all I can say about him. He's a great guy. Uh, he was our NCS Coach of the Year, and there was never a question that he was the NCS Coach of the Year. No doubt about it. We're going to – I'm going to jump over the two soccer coaches here and we'll throw it back to girls basketball to wrap up this category. Um, you know, Shane Kennedy, Tamalpaya soccer, and really, he, he really crafted what was maybe, maybe the premier defensive team, um, you know, in Northern California, especially below division one, um, you know, and they, they had a great success in the, in the MCAL and, um, you know, went on, reached all the way to the Northern California, uh, you know, division two regional title game. Um, before they ran into a, a buzzsaw of Cl at Clovis High. Um, but really, I mean, a, a team that really put together great defensive structure, you know, game in and game out. And, and what was really impressive to me as they went through the season is they did it while losing a couple of key, you know, holding mids or defensive mids late in the season to injury. Um, and despite that, they had other girls that were able to step right in, continue their philosophy, and really continue that blueprint blueprint for success that he laid out. Um, uh, Nick Hatsky at Lee Soccer led them to farther than that program's ever gone um, into the NorCal's as well. Um, you know, really impressive season for the Longhorns. And and same thing, they, you know, they had a couple of offensive-minded girls. Um, you know, one going to UC Davis, another will come back as a senior next year, who's a Pac-12 Oregon commit. But other than that, really same thing. Really play put together sort of a conservative uh, strategy, um, you know, really, once again, played to a, played a program style of soccer, you know, and, and really nice to see that happen and nice to see the development that's taken place there at Lee during his tenure and, you know, unbeaten in the Mount Hamilton and successful run, you know, that they, they battled against uh, Mitty. They actually led Mitty um, in this, in the open division playoffs uh, for half of that match before the Monarchs came back with two second half goals. Um, and then they did well at the NorCal level as, as well. Um, so he, another one of our candidates there, but Harold, I'm going to throw it back to you. Um, tell us a little bit about Antonio Veloso of Half Moon Bay. Well, just, he has had a splendid career. Okay. The last few years he's led them to two uh, CCS championships, including this past season uh, when they won the Division Four championship. Uh, they won their first round game. Uh, actually, they won, yeah, they won their first round game uh, in, in, in the NorCal's, and then they gave eventual uh, NorCal champion Colfax a pretty good game. But they had a really, really young team. Uh, freshman was the best player on the team. And the guy is just a good coach, and he's a good guy. And he's, you know, Half Moon Bay is a, is, a, is a community that really takes pride in its athletics. And this guy, he just, he just loves these girls. He loves this team. The community loves him, and he's a winner, okay? And uh, he's, an, he's an old St. Ignatius guy, uh, city guy, and uh, he, he's just he's a winner. And he's a good guy and a good coach. I've seen him coach, and I can tell you, he knows what he's doing. And he's just, he's, he, he's, he's not a teacher, okay? He's in sales and marketing, but he finds the time to do the job. 
Okay, well, let's get into the male team coach of the year candidates, um, starting with John Regalia from St. Ignatius Football, and Paul Cronin from Cardinal Newman Football, John Schwan, Montgomery Soccer, Vava Marquez from Gun Soccer, and Tom Costello from Dublin Basketball. So where do you want to start with those guys? A lot of soccer, a lot of soccer coaches. Danny, Danny, I had nothing. I, I, I had nothing to do with this. In fact, what's my name? How come my name didn't get on this list somehow? Well, I start off with having you talk a little bit about things here as well. Um, talking about the coach here, uh, Vava from Gun Soccer. Yeah, Vava. Um, yeah, I can talk a little bit about Vava. I know Vava's been coaching a long time. He used to coach at Los Altos High School. He was. Uh, I don't know if he's still coaching at Foothill College as well. Um, you know, longtime coach. Gun has been one of those programs that's. Always been kind of on the verge of being a strong program. It's just kind of couldn't really get out of the uh, the, the B division in the, in the SCVAL. Um, and when they do, it was kind of like they're a little bit on the yo-yo between the A and the B league. And obviously, they really broke through this this past season by um, by winning the league in in knocking off of a very good Wilcox team that we had we had some familiarity with as well. We thought that after playing Wilcox in the preseason that they would most likely win that league and gun gun went coast to coast in that league. And I think they were undefeated as well during, during the league season. And then to cap it off by winning the division one championships, be, beating Mitty in the final. I mean, that tells you all you need to know about um, what they've been able to accomplish. And I believe that was in Vava's first year. So gun really is, uh, it's always been kind of a, a hidden gem, I think, cause there's, there's some good soccer players up there, but um, they definitely achieved really high, uh, high levels this year. Paul Cronin football, uh, you know, this guy, I will tell you this, he is regarded as one of the top coaches in the state of California. I can't call him one of the top young coaches anymore, which I did for so many years, because he's, he's not that old. He's in his, he's in his mid-40s, okay? But he's already won 200 games. He won his 200th game last year, and no one has gotten to 200 as early as the only one who's gotten to 200 as early as he has, I believe, is Bob Latisseur of De La Salle. Uh, so, I mean, and he won a state championship this past year and the North Coast section. He's, he's won three North Coast section championships. Uh, I mean, he's, he's one of the best. And, you know, I like to cover games on the sidelines. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that again, uh, but I like to get right in the middle and, I, I stand right next to the head coach a lot of times uh, on the sidelines as they're calling plays, as they're directing the team. Uh, and I got to tell you, no one is better on the sidelines than Paul Cronin. No one. Well, yeah, Paul, Paul, the end game adjustments that Newman is able to make on a regular basis have the, you know, the respect of everybody around the section. Exactly. And, and he's certainly known among other coaches as being one of the best end game adjustment coaches out there. Um, you know, he was also on a little side note, you know, a couple of years ago when the NCS was talking about, you know, changing the, um, the structure of the end of the season and the playoffs a little bit um, in a way that the teams up north due to the, all the fires that they didn't want to see happen. It was Paul Cronin who, you know, he called me up and he really got a voice to represent the coaches from that area. And it ended up holding a lot of water, um, you know, with, with people making decisions. So definitely a very respected veteran there. Um, you know, we look over at SI football there and, and, and Coach Regalia, and I think all you need to know about their season came down to a two-point conversion play against Sarah High School. And where Sarah, you know, went for the win, 
um, down 14-13 and, you know, with the WCAL title on the line. And wouldn't you know it, SI comes up with a huge stop in the backfield, creates a three-way tie for the WCAL championship and really something SI hasn't seen in quite a while. And really, um, really a breakthrough moment for that program this last year. And, you know, the way they juggled, you know, getting back athletes who, you know, they had a couple different quarterbacks and mix and match there with guys like Teddy Buchanan and Zach Taylor Smith. And the way they just, you know, he got guys out who hadn't played football before the last year or two and put them into key positions and really just managed that roster so effectively and really got that program to believe that they could do something that nobody off their campus really believed. Nobody from away from 42nd street there probably believed they could do. SI is a, SI is a tough place to coach. I'll tell you. And John has lasted and he's, he's a winner. And, uh, he, he's a coach in the SI tradition, okay? Strong disciplinarian, uh, demands excellence from his players, and uh, that's, that's the way they do it at SI. And this year they had some real success, and John was, was the one who orchestrated it, that's for sure. Uh, what about your other soccer coach, uh, Nate? You really like this guy, the guy from Montgomery. John Schwann, is a, he is an athlete first um, approach to coaching here. And, you know, the nice thing is he really does build his, he really builds his attack around, around all the mids that he has there and, and different guys who can attack and they, and they might not get there as a freshman or sophomore, but he continues working with those guys and putting them in positions to succeed. And, and this year they set the bar really high, you know, coming into division one, you know, they said at the beginning of the year, you know, our, our goal is to take down Berkeley and De La Salle. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to sit back and go, oh, now we're in with the big dogs. You know, it's okay if we, if we don't win again this year. Um, you know, they set the bar really high and, and, and they did it. I mean, they went through the regular season. They were a second half team if there ever was one. And, you know, the only slight hiccup they had was at the end of the regular season against Rancho Catati. And in a game where, where John said, I'll, I'll take the blame for this. I didn't have the team ready to play. They ended up finishing in a draw the only non-victory on their entire undefeated, you know, season. And, and he said, looking back, you know, he, he took the practical approach to it. He said, the moment the match was done, he said to his guys, today was good for you. Today was what you needed because now we get to wake up and go into the postseason. And I'll tell you what, once they got there in the postseason, nobody could hold a candle to them. You know, they, they, they ran through the NCS Division I playoffs and then they did it again in the NorCal's. And just really impressive. I mean, when, when, you, when you have a 6 nothing win in the regional playoffs in soccer, um, that, that, that's about as dominating as you can get. And really, I mean, for, for Montgomery up there in Santa Rosa, like I said, non-Division one school capturing Division one titles in the section and at the regionals, and for a public school to do that and put together what they've done, um, just re- really a, an impressive a, approach to what's going on there. Um, a remarkable accomplishment for sure. And then our last uh, coach is another public school coach, Tom Costello, and our NCS coach of the year. And I mean, this guy is, he's, he's a class act and he's a great coach. Uh, and I mean, I've, I've seen him in action many, many times. Uh, and once again, I like to get right in there at the, at the scores table. I like to see how coaches operate, what they do. I watch the coaches, they operate, uh, and this guy is good. He's good. And Nate, you've talked to him a lot. Uh, how do you feel about him? Here's to me, what stood out to me from the start of the year. Yeah, du- Dublin has talent. They have a ton of talent. They have 
they have that elite private school level talent in their program right now. But the thing is, Dublin could have easily had excuses built in and taken a step back when Robbie Beasley left Dublin for Doherty Valley, when he moved over to San Ramon there and enrolled at Doherty Valley. Because here was a kid that was the star of your program since his freshman year. And now going into his senior year, he's no longer with you. And that could have been a built-in excuse for why they would have taken a step back. Instead, they turned to other stars. You know, they, they build a true program around people. They have different leading scorers almost every night. You know, and, and they truly have five guys to six to seven, eight guys on, who are out there on the court working cohesively. Um, Tom also does not build his program through basketball-only guys. He has a number of guys coming from football into basketball that start the season – you know, maybe a little could start the season slow, but there's no excuses again. He's got guys at the end of the year as they're playing for a section and regional titles that are going out there and taking their swings in the batting cage and taking ground balls because they're getting ready to go to baseball. It's, it's a multi-sport athlete program. They've embraced that as an entire department. He also teaches there. They embrace that philosophy. And I mean, his own kid's a three-sport athlete at the school, um, if that tells you anything. And, and so they've really done it that really that, that public school way of building through these multi-sport athletes building through what you have on campus. And it's really impressive how they've all of a sudden now have a winning tradition with Tom Costello. And so, now, so finally we go to the, to the breakthrough athletes um, or unless somebody want, you want to add something? On well, I was just going to say, you know, we, uh, we, we're, we're going to have some features coming out obviously on the website with the, the breakthrough athletes, as well as uh, Harold has a, has a really good inspira- uh, most inspirational player, um, story that will be coming out as well. So, um, you know, we hope you enjoyed this rundown of all the different uh, awards uh, candidates for the preppies this year. And um, again, look forward to seeing some of the articles uh, over the next few days here. And uh, again, please remember to subscribe to the Prep to Prep Beyond the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. And don't forget to visit us at preptoprep.com and follow us on Twitter at Prep to Prep Sports and Instagram at Prep to Prep. Any last words before I sign off, guys? No, I think I, I think that our listeners can see that you know we do the due diligence that's needed to to pick these things. We we take this seriously, and as you can see, Nate knows what he's talking about, uh, knows these things backwards and forwards, and 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 we try to do an A plus excellent job. Nate, one time I'm going to give you the last word. Well, for me, like I said before, this is always one of the hardest tasks. And the thing I would like to remind our listeners is we do, you know, this is kind of funneled down to teams and athletes we cover throughout the year in our primary sports we cover. Um, You might see a few extra names in our features that come out as we try to, you know, recognize a little bit of a wider scope as well was because, because if you look at all of sports in the Bay area, um, it's, it's such a talented and deep area. And to me, it's a joy every year to cover these athletes and, I'm not going to go down that negative spiral that, um, you know, Harold, Harold gave us early on with, um, you know, with what we missed with the spring. <laughs> um, and we know we don't have a fall coming up, um, but hopefully all of these sports get their opportunity to participate in the winter and the spring in 2021. So when we're, so we're right back here again after the 2021 season, celebrating another great cast of student athletes. Well, once again, on behalf of Nate and Harold, thanks again for tuning in. 